Welcome to this podcast from Wilkesboro Baptist Church, where we are on a mission to lead our neighbors and the nations to follow Jesus. It is a living hope, 1 Peter chapter 1, and we'll begin reading in verse 3 here in just a few moments. A living hope. What do we mean when we talk about hope? Do we mean uh, we wish for something to be better? Wishful thinking? Boy, if it were wishful thinking season, we all could come up with some wishes. Some of us would wish for ponies, and some of us would wish for a better night's sleep. Some of us would wish for an end to this pandemic, and we could go back to seeing your smiling faces without a mask on. Some of us would wish for all sorts of things. Unfortunately, Uh, wishes don't always come true in that particular sense. And too often, I think what we do as Christians, humans in general, Christians in particular, is we associate the idea of wishing with hoping. And biblically, hoping is not a wish. Something far more certain and far more stable and far more secure than just this idea that I long for something that might change or that might be better. In a book I read recently entitled The Art of Rest by Adam Mabry, I was reading a section of it and he he put it this way, talking about our identity and what we long for. Here's how he worded this. He said, every time you look at your Facebook feed, And feel that twinge that says, if you were any kind of success, you'd be doing that, having that, being that, or going there. Each moment, the magazines align the checkout counter shout, if you really want to look great, you must do this. He says, you are quietly, cunningly coerced into living a way that you simply don't have to. Dissatisfaction gives way to self-incarceration. Here's what Mabry identified and where I think we are living in our contemporary experience right now or have a tendency to. We look around and we think we could have it better because they have it better. We could have it better because something could be different or we could have it better if something would just change politically, if something would change experientially, if something would change medically, we think it would be better. The problem is... We're longing for something that's beyond our ability to control and beyond our ability to make happen. And those longings and those wishes, essentially what they are is they're illusions, they're shadows, and they're lies. What we need is something far more stable, far more certain, and something that we can count on that anchors us as followers of Jesus. We need what we just sang about, a living hope. And Peter declares that boldly in 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. To a living hope. And that to a living hope. What is a hope? Peter characterizes the Christian hope as living. That means it in itself is the very life of the living God. And, and the idea of hope biblically is the word, uh, is the word elpis. And, and it does not carry with it the idea of wish. 
It carries with it the concept of something that is certain, something that is absolute. It's just something we have to wait for. In other words, it's a guarantee. And the reason it's not a guarantee and stated as you have it now, it's, it's a hope because it's something that's guaranteed, but it's something we just have to wait a day for or a week for, or a year for, or maybe 10 years for. But it is something guaranteed, something certain. And it is a hope that is not dead. It's a hope that's not in the past. It's a hope that is not in the future in a particular sense. It is a living hope. That's what Peter says we have. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope how? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The reason our hope's alive is because the one our hope, in it, it, hope is in is alive. Jesus in the resurrection. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found a result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him, Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories." It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. In the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Peter is doing quite a few things in this opening paragraph. Uh, the, these verses in the Greek language are one extended sentence. So there's a lot that Peter's unpacking in one particular phrase. If you go back and read it in conjunction with the book of Ephesians, Peter's doing a very similar uh, strategy or adopting a very similar strategy to what Paul did. He's unpacking our salvation at the beginning of his letter. And we mentioned last week that Peter's letter is full of exhortations. In other words, he's, he's essentially preaching to the people that he's writing to, encouraging them to live a certain way. But everything he's going to tell us to do, living a certain way, which picks up in verse 13 of chapter 1 and moves all the way through the rest of the book, the rest of this little letter, all of that is based on and grounded in what Peter's telling us about our salvation in these nine verses. He's unpacking these for us so that we can grasp who we are in Jesus and the living hope that we have so that when he tells us we're to be holy and when he tells us we're to experience suffering and when he tells us how we're to engage in submission to one another and when he tells us how we're to act in reference to the circumstances that are around us, all of it makes sense. It fits into a place and into a pattern in our spiritual lives. But it's grounded in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's grounded in the salvation that we've experienced. So we're going to unpack three specific statements about the living hope that we have in Jesus. First of all, we have been saved to a living hope by Jesus Christ. 
We don't need to lose this fact. The living hope that you and I have doesn't come from ourselves. It's not from within. It's not something you and I find. It's not something you and I conjure up. It's not something you and I make happen. It has come to us through Jesus. And it drives our worship. drives our praise. It drives our exaltation. Peter doesn't begin declaring salvation. He begins praising God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's almost redundant, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. But what Peter is saying is, there are some things we're about to talk about related to salvation. And what's the purpose of that? What's the beginning point of our salvation is praising and glorifying and honoring and, uh, and, and, and exalting God. It's why in our worship services, we've thought long and hard about how to do worship services safely. Sometimes you stand and sometimes you sing and we sing a little less and we may sing a little less boisterously. But I'm going to tell you, we can't have a worship service where singing's not a part of it. Right? It's, it's, not, it's not possible. Why? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our, our in-depth exploration of our salvation and the gospel that we've received requires us to praise God. It drives us to glorify and acknowledge Him. Why? Because we've been saved to a living hope through Jesus Christ. To be born again to a living hope. According to God's mercy. That means God doesn't treat you as you deserve. Did you catch that? We deserve a sinner's hell. We deserve judgment and separation from God. But according to His mercy, we're not treated like we deserve. We're treated better than we deserve. We've been born again. The same phraseology Jesus used to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Being born again. Being made new. Being born into a new family. Being born spiritually. You need to be born spiritually to be in a relationship with the living God. To experience the living hope that salvation brings. But what Peter's saying to them is this is your salvation. He's writing to believers. He's writing to people who have trusted in Jesus to be their Savior. You've been born again. And Peter's unpacking that for them so that they'll understand the hope that they have. Caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Do you realize because Jesus rose from the dead, you will too? The resurrection of Jesus Christ, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, it's clear affirmation that your body will not remain in a grave. Whenever you die, whenever any of the believers that have gone on before us have died and we've put their body in a grave, or they've been cremated, their bodies are coming back. God's going to reunite them. Why? Because we have a living hope. It's not something dead. It's not something way out in the future, distant and away from us. It's, it's something that we can experience in a sense now. Now, there is a future element to that. There's a future Goal, and this is what Peter gets at here in just a second. He says, We've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Imperishable is something that cannot decay. Undefiled is something that is morally and spiritually free from any stain. Unfading is something that is a lovely flower that never fades. In other words, what God has done in saving us through Jesus Christ, to a living hope through Jesus Christ, He saved us to a future inheritance that is death-proof, sin-proof, and time-proof. There's nothing that can take it away. How many things do you have in your house that are decay 
proof. You know, fruits and vegetables are the best things that we can probably eat in life. But they have a shelf life. And they're only going to last so long. But there are some things in your pantry that will last a long time. Sometimes that makes me question whether I should eat them or not. If a year later it tastes like it did when I bought it from the store, I'll wonder about what they put in it to make it taste. You, you tracking with me right there? Right? Uh, um, but here's the reality. All of the things that we eat, all of the things that we have, all of the things that we own, all of the things that we buy, all of the things in our life will one day decay. But not the inheritance that we have coming. It will never decay. It's never going to go away. It's never going to be stained by anything. Man, we can, I live in a house with boys. I am a guy. We can mess something up in a heartbeat, you know. We can make a mess and make a mess that won't ever go away. We can do something wrong and leave a scar, leave a mark on a piece of furniture. We can pour something on a, on a couch and there's a stain there forever. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Do you realize your inheritance with Jesus is stain free? It can't be corrupted. It can't be corrupted by sin. It can't be corrupted by anything outside. It is stain free and it's unfading. It's like a flower that never fails to bloom, blooms forever and forever. What God says is your salvation, this should encourage you, your salvation is to an inheritance that will never go away, that can never be stained, and that will never decay. Man, that's pretty good. I mean, really, think about that for a second. What you're storing up in eternity that you'll experience in the future one day with Jesus can't Decay. It can't be stained and, and it will never fade. There's hope there. There's encouragement there. There's comfort there. But folks, let me tell you, we as Christians, we're unique in that hope that we have, that living hope that we have. There's so many worldviews out there. There's so many thought processes and ideologies that are built around humans. They begin and end with us. They're humanistic. Naturalism, atheism, uh, existentialism, the best we can be is what we can think up and what we can imagine. One philosopher put it this way. He said, on humanist assumptions, life leads to nothing. And every pretense that it does not is a deceit. He said to imagine this, if there's a bridge over a gorge which spans only half the distance and ends in midair and the bridge is crowded by human beings pressing on one after the other and they fall into the abyss. The bridge leads nowhere. Those who are pressing forward to cross it are going nowhere. It does not matter where they think they're going, what preparations for the journey that they've made, how much they may be enjoying it all. They are going nowhere. Let me tell you something, folks. There are so many people out in our world, in our communities, in our school systems, in our places of business, that their entire ideology is built on them being the best version of themselves they can be, building the best world that they can imagine that they can be. And when all is said and done, their ideas, their visions, their dreams, and their worldviews end nowhere. They have no hope that at the end of the days on this earth, that anything different will happen. Beloved, that's not us. For us, the best is not here. The best is not pre-pandemic. The best is not post-pandemic. The best is yet to come. 
The best is in another place, another world, in the place with God. And that is what we're saved to. A living hope by Jesus Christ for a future that is glorious and wonderful. And that should encourage us. Here's something else that should encourage us about it. Get this. That inheritance is being kept in heaven for you. Who, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. In other words, our salvation is being kept not by ourselves. Our inheritance is being kept not by the Federal Reserve. It's a good thing if you've got a retirement account. It's a good thing. Hope you're saving for the future. The Bible tells us to save and plan ahead. But you know what? We mess up savings all the time. And our country messes up savings and inheritances and plans all the time. I want you to get this. Do you know who's keeping your heavenly inheritance? Somebody who's not going to mess up. Somebody who's not going to make a mistake. Somebody who's not going to let something slip away. Somebody who's not going to not watch the stocks correctly and all of a sudden everything that you've stored up forever is gone. No, it's being kept. Kept how? By God's power. Not only our inheritance being kept, but we're being kept by God's power. Let me assure you something, folks. If you have trusted in Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, if you've believed on Him, if you've accepted Him and you've followed Him, you can't lose your salvation. God won't let you go, and the inheritance that you're building up is being kept, and it's being stored for you. Peter wanted his readers to know there was something to look forward to. And that is encouraging. We've been saved to a living hope by Jesus Christ. Secondly, we've been saved to a living hope through our trials. Notice this in verse 6. In this you now rejoice. Why do we rejoice in this? Why do we rejoice in what the truths that God has promised for the future? Because we're living in the present. And the present doesn't feel quite like the future most of the time. Notice this. We rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Kind of sounds like Peter was writing this for 2021. And indeed, Christians over the ages have faced trials and difficulties. The word trials can be translated a variety of different ways in the New Testament. It can be translated temptation. It can be translated difficulty. In different places in the New Testament, it is unpacked in different ways, defined in different ways. Uh, Trials can be times when we lack provision, power, protection, or a sense of permanence. A circumstance where where we lack, that can be a trial. Trials can be times when we experience persecution. And, And while we directly may not have experienced that, we may experience that yet in the future in our own American existence. But many believers across the ages have experienced persecution. And the idea of trials is a part of that. Trials are also times when we experience pain, personal pain, physical pain. Or when we experience loss, the loss of a loved one, a friend, someone we care about, a mom or a dad, a brother or a sister. Trials can be times when we suffer, when we die, or when we watch someone else die. Trials can also be times when we face dark moments under the attack of the enemy. 
All four of those instances are ways that the word trials have been used in the New Testament. And what Peter says in this particular instance is he says, though now for a little while you've been grieved by various trials. He's kind of giving a general description of what the human experience is like. Because the reality is, when we get through pandemic and the trials that we faced through this, there's another trial coming down the road. Might be cancer, might be heart disease, might be the sudden loss of a family member. It it might be the loss of a job. It might be persecution. It might be a specific dark time when you're attacked by the enemy. Here's the reality. The trials that we're going through now, we're going to continue to go through trials like that. And what Jesus says to us, or what Peter says in regard to our relationship with Jesus, is we've been saved to a living hope through our trials. In other words, God is, has not left us alone. He's guarding us. He's keeping us. He's sustaining us. Even though we're facing things that are difficult and things that we don't understand and things that we can't make sense of. Isolation, fear, uncertainty, persecution, marginalization, the death of loved ones, heartache, pain, the trials that we are facing and have yet to face, yet Christ is sustaining us through them because those trials have a purpose. God has a goal for those trials in our own spiritual existence, and here it is. So that, verse 7, the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though is tested by fire, may result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Why, if God loves us so much, does he allow us to face things that are difficult? The authors of the book, The Coddling of the American Mind, lamented the mindset that used to be a part of our culture, what doesn't kill you will make you stronger. We're living in a world where we don't want to have pain where we don't want to have difficulty, where we don't want to go through offense, where we don't want to go through some type of challenge to our ideology or our mindsets. And folks, that's just not the world we live in. And that's not a right perspective on the world. Why is it that God would let us go through trials? Because I'll tell you this, the trials you have faced in the last 10 or 12 months of your life and the trials you're going to face in the coming years of your life, God will use to deepen your faith. And strengthen your faith. You'll know more about God in the difficult times. Learn more about God in the difficult times. Than you ever can learn about God. In the times where everything is just fine. Why is that? Because God gives us an opportunity to rely on him. And it's like those, those testings are exactly what happens with gold or with silver. Those fine metals that are purified through the fire, the testing of fire. That's what God's doing in your life. That's what God's doing in my life. He's allowing us to face something that we don't understand and we can't fix that is difficult. Why? So he can test our faith. So he can prove our faith. So he can grow our faith. You know what? We're going to blow it sometimes. We're absolutely going to miss it. God's going to give us an opportunity to grow our faith and test our faith. And you know what we're going to do? We're going to act like a faithless, self-righteous, ungodly pagan. You've done it. I've done it. You know what God does? He offers us forgiveness. Why? There's a hope. There's a longing. There's a greatness to the testing that we're experiencing because Jesus is with us through it. And there's a greater purpose even for that. Why does he want us to have a faith that's tested and strengthened? 
so that our lives can result in the praise and honor and glory of Jesus at his revelation. You realize that the way you walk through your trials will either glorify Christ or not. There's going to come a day when you're going to see Jesus. Paul talk, or Peter talks about it. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you, don't, though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And rejoice with joy that is inexpressible. And filled with glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. He says to us, there's coming a day when we're going to see him. He's going to be revealed to us. We're going to see him in all of his glory. And we're going to have an opportunity to present to him the praise and honor and glory that we've experienced through our difficulties. Or we may not have an opportunity to present that because we didn't go through our difficulties with faith and with growth and with dependence on him. Peter's telling us that the trials are opportunities for us to bring praise to Jesus. And get this. Rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. I've been in some really awesome worship services over my years of existence. I've been in some at churches and I've been in some at camps and I've been in some at some other places. But I've never been in a worship service where my joy was truly inexpressible. What I mean by that is we still expressed it in song and in word and in action. I want you to get this. What God wants to do with your trials and difficulties, he wants to get you to a point where your joy is so deep and so real that it is inexpressible. In other words, that you can't put words on it. You can't quantify it. You can't define it. You can't fully explain it because it's what God has brought you through. Listen, we've been saved to a living hope through our trials. That's our present situation. Thirdly, we've been saved to a living hope Grounded on Scripture. Pick up with me in verse 10. Concerning this salvation, the salvation that we've experienced, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. So Peter kind of doesn't does an aside here. He's, and and at, at one moment, it's one of those things, it's like, okay, what's, what's Peter doing? Well, you got to remember that what Peter's doing is he's grounding the, his readers in the glories of their salvation experience. He's reminding them the depth of the living hope that they have. He, he's encouraging them that in their daily existence, in their daily trials, and their sufferings, to make sure they go through those with faith because they have a living hope. They have Jesus walking with them. And then he kind of turns and talks about the prophets and the writers of Scripture of old. Now, what he's not doing in particular, there are other places in the New Testament that do this, he's not particularly grounding our gospel in the Old Testament or in the prophets. What he's doing is he's elevating the gospel that we've received to a place that should just... What's the right word? It should drive us to praise at what God has let us experience. Notice how he describes this. The prophets of old. Who's he talking about? Moses. And David. And Jeremiah. And Isaiah. And Amos. Bible writers. I I mean, men who witnessed things that you and I will never witness this side of eternity. I mean, Moses talked with God face to face. 
Abraham walked with God. David wrote Psalm 23 and the experiences of walking with God in a personal way to be able to write that psalm. I mean, over and over again, these are the prophets that Peter's talking about. He's reflecting on the Old Testament. But listen to what he says. They inquired into the messianic prophecies that they were giving. And yet they didn't get to experience what you get to experience. Catch this. Verse 12. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. They were serving not themselves, but you. Yes, they had a ministry in their own time. Yes, they served their people in their purpose, in their time, in their generation. Certainly. But when Jeremiah is writing about that righteous branch that's going to come, and when Isaiah is writing about that suffering servant in Isaiah 53, and when David is prophesying and writing about the Messiah who's going to die on a cross, or that man who's going to die on a cross in Psalm 22, they had no clue the fulfillment of what they were, going to, they were writing about you know what? They longed to know about it. They inquired about it. They sought it out. They searched out scriptures. And you know what? They never got to experience the fulfillment of what they were writing. They were serving us with their ministry of the gospel. Here's what Peter's saying. He's saying, you are privileged. He's saying, you have the opportunity to see the fulfillment of the gospel. That all these great men, these heroes of old... They didn't get to see the fulfillment of it. But you get to see the fulfillment of it. Notice how he describes it. In the things, verse 12, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you. In the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Say this very clearly. We have been saved to a living hope grounded on Scripture Which means that if you've heard the gospel preached by me or by another pastor, if you've heard the gospel preached, you have received a privilege that many thousands of godly good people never got to experience in the Old Testament. You've received a privilege that Isaiah never got to experience in the Old Testament. Abraham never got to experience. David never got to experience. God has privileged you and me to hear the good news of Jesus preached. He goes even further. He says, things into which angels long to look. To get this, the angels of heaven worship God, glorify God, praise God. They're there announcing the holiness of God. They're there seeing the greatness of God. They were there uh, probably during some of creation. Maybe God created the angels first and they got to watch creation. Certainly they've watched God's interaction in human experience over the millennia as they serve God and praise God and glorify God. Angels have seen glorious things. We're enamored with angels. We have TV shows, Touched by an Angel. At least used to have a TV show, Touched by an Angel, no longer in, in syndication. Uh, but, you know, you know, we are fascinated with angelic beings. wonder, do we have guardian angels? I think probably we do. I don't want you to grasp this. The angels long to look into the gospel that you get to hear. The angels can't fathom... That God who made them and God who they serve would take on human flesh. Would hang on a cruel Roman cross and be forgiven so that you and I, or or, or offer forgiveness so that you and I can have a living hope. They long to look into that. 
The gospel that you've received and heard and received is such a privilege. So what does that mean? It means that if you are hearing the good news of Jesus and you don't have a living hope, you've not been born again, you need to trust Jesus to be your Savior. Today's the day that you need to confess your sins, receive Jesus as Lord, and follow him and experience the living hope that you have, that that Jesus offers. If you've received that living hope, what does that mean? It means you need to live for somebody that's not yourself. Think about this. Those prophets... They wrote for a generation that they would never see the ultimate fulfillment of what they were writing for. You know what? That's a good testimony for us as followers of Jesus. Do you know why God gives us a living hope? Not so much so that we'll make it, but maybe so that our living hope will inspire someone else to make it. That's the whole point of God using the prophets and speaking through them. And folks, we do need a hope. We do need a living hope. We have a living hope because he's paved the way for it. He closed with this African parable that I came across this week in my study. Turns out there was a a man in Africa that was walking down a trail. He had to go from one village to another village. And the trail was uh, overlapped by trees and by branches. And as he was going along this trail, he came across a snake across the trail. Some of you are done with the story right now. And you're like, I'm turning back, I'm going home, forget this, I can go a different day. But he had to get where he needed to go. And so he had to cross over this path. As he studied the snake more, he became very well aware that it was a poisonous snake. And he could see the snake's body across the trail, and its tail was in the bushes, and its head was, was impeded by a rock that he couldn't see what was going on. And so he's standing there, and he's trying to figure out what he's going to do and how he's going to get around this very poisonous snake. So he got a little bit bold and he picked up a little pebble and he tossed it at the snake, hoping that it would startle the snake and the snake would slither on. The snake didn't move. He stood there wondering, what is he going to do? So he decided to get a long stick, a really long stick. And he took that really long stick and he got as close as he could to touch the snake with the stick. And he poked the snake and the snake didn't move. He's like, oh my goodness. How am I going to get this snake to move? How am I going to get across this snake? Finally, he got brave enough to walk up and look to see if the snake was alive by looking at its head. As he leaned over that rock that was impeding his vision of the snake, he saw that the snake's head had been crushed by the rock. It's like, okay, I'm good. So he took that stick that he had discovered and he pushed that snake out of the way and he went on his journey. And the parable goes like this. He didn't have a hope a walking hope, a living hope, so much because there was a dead snake behind him as he did because he knew that there was someone walking ahead of him killing the snakes and the obstacles that were in his way. Tell you something, you know why we have a living hope? Because no matter what happens to our bodies when we die, our Savior's already been down that path. He's already defeated death. There's not an obstacle in your way, a trial, a difficulty, a problem that you could face today, tomorrow, or in the next hundred years that Jesus hasn't already faced, hasn't already fixed, and hasn't already paved the way for you to follow along behind him. We have a living hope.
Stand with me as we conclude our worship service by singing and praising. Lord God, thank you that you send Jesus to be our resurrected and risen Savior. Thank you, Lord, that while we don't deserve the hope you've given us, Lord, you've given us a hope and a confidence and a peace and an assurance that we want to grab hold of and not let go. Lord, there are many of us in this room, many of us that are going to be watching, many of us that are going to be worshiping this weekend, that, Lord, the trials of our day-to-day life are staggering and difficult. Lord, will you help us know we have a living hope through them? Lord God, will you help us to look forward to the eternal life, the inheritance, the promise, the peace, the the things that are unfading and unfailing that you're going to give us. Help us to look to that for encouragement, for hope, for direction, for guidance. Lord God, help us to experience you and experience the hope that you offer through your son, Jesus. Encourage us, motivate us, draw us to salvation if that's our need. But ground us in the living hope that you've given us through the gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Remember to like and subscribe wherever podcasts are found. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Remember to like and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.